Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. We have an ancient gospel that never stops being new. We have an eternal king named Jesus who never gets old. We live in a time where beholding him is it. I, I don't even, I don't feel like, I feel like I want to say what I, the Lord is going to give me permission to say it and then just move and get out of the way. Because we're in a time where it's about beholding him. It's not about a person. It's not about a speaker. Not about a band. It's not even about a song. If a song can bring us into a unity of collectively beholding him, that's really all we need. Really, it's about your heart. Stirred with a, with, a, with, a, with a hunger for the things of God. And it's not a hunger that comes from a place of lacking in anything. It's a, an awakening, an awareness of what you and I have always had access to. And these, these seasons, these moments uh, come to us uh, like they are right now. And it looks like, oh goodness, God is now touching. Reality is God has always been drawing us and inviting us. He never reaches down, grabs your will, and breaks it. He's never stopped inviting us. He has always been inviting us. His arms have always been out. The awareness of the union that comes from the shed blood of Christ is always available. The power of the Holy Spirit that fell in Acts chapter 2, 2,000 years ago, has not stopped falling. We're not praying for God to come and do anything that he isn't already doing. What's happening right now is an awakening to an awareness of what we've always had access to. And I celebrate that awakening. I do. I love it. Love it. Love it. I, I was looking at the, the Asbury Revival videos this week and, and watching just being just overcome. And here's what really got me. I felt like the Lord said, You've gone through how many of these, Bill, in your lifetime? And I thought, yeah, it's been a few. And then I looked at these young people, thousands of them, and I realized most of them have never seen this. For most of them, this is their first encounter with the glory of the Lord. Like for many of them up until now, it's been a message and an idea. And suddenly that message has morphed into a person. And many of them are awakening to a realization of this is real. Many of them went to a theological seminary to learn theology. That is a study of God. And what they are getting is a theophany, which is the appearance of God. An encounter with him. And we look at that and go, it's revival. It's always been there. It's always been there. You've got to know this and believe this. I'm not downing on it, on, on it at all. I'm saying you've got to know and believe this because if you don't understand what's happening, then you'll think that God comes and goes. And he doesn't. There are moments of time, though, like the sun just baking the planet. The glory of God is always upon us. But there are moments of time where it's almost like a magnifying glass 
takes the focused energy of the sun and concentrates it on a specific geographical location at a particular moment in time that the mystics would call thin places. You know, like, they're just as easy to miss as they are to catch. And if you're not aware of it, you won't even know it's happening. God doesn't just slam into you with a thin place. He invites you and he whispers. It's Moses in the desert walking along and a bush is burning, but it's not in his path. God could have lit a bush in his path, but he doesn't. He lights a bush over here and the bush is burning, but not consumed. Weird. What is that? It's an invitation. Moses could have just kept walking. The Bible says God never said a word until Moses stopped, diverted his gaze, and turned to see. What did he see? He passed by one of those magnified moments where God decided in a time and a moment to concentrate the revelation of his glory right here, and he would just have let Moses walk by. No condemnation. Just would have missed it. Still aware of the presence of the Lord, still aware of the God who, who, who saves, the God who heals, the God who delivers, but he would have missed a moment that could have changed everything. What happened to Moses in this moment? The Bible says, when he turned aside, then God spoke. God didn't yell at Moses from out of the bush. He waited for Moses to turn and pay attention to something that was happening that was unusual. And Moses turned aside and he looks, and then God speaks. And God says, take your shoes off. We always think it's because, ooh, shoes are unholy in the presence of God. That's not it. You have somebody come over to your house, and you want them to feel at home, what do you do? Kick your shoes off and stay a while. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. In other words, take your shoes off. I live here, my house. Moses kicks his shoes off. Why? Because the closer you get to an awareness of the presence of God, the less you need The closer you get to an awakening awareness of the presence of the Lord, the less you need of the things of this world. The more you get to an awakening awareness of the presence of the Lord, the more you don't mind letting go of all of the things that used to feel so important and necessary to you. Take off your shoes. Stay a while. Linger in this place. Rest in this place of beholding him. It is all about beholding him, you know? This move of God that's happening, it's it's so many are awakening and awareness of wonder to. I'm like, oh, it's cool, I love it. All of my revivalist friends are jumping on planes and heading to Asbury, and I'm like, please go, but please stay out of the way. My dad was in a revival meeting many years ago. Bested one of the best pieces of advice about moving in the presence of God I've ever known. He was in a revival many, many years ago with an old pastor. It was a Wesleyan Methodist church, and these people knew how to pray, but they didn't know about the moving of the Holy Spirit, and they didn't, they didn't, uh, uh, they didn't tolerate weirdness. Everything was done decently and in order until God showed up. And, you know, often that's. That's why he's called the comforter, because comfort is what you need when he magnifies his glory in a room. And, and the Lord started touching the place. People just spontaneously started moving out of their seats, crying out to God. And uh, just the eruption of the, a heart just crying out for the things of God. 
If you've never done that before, try it sometime. It's so liberating. God loves your voice. <laughs> and dad was the floor under the bench facing the wall, curled up. And dad goes over and goes, Brother John, what do, as a young minister, as a young evangelist, not knowing what to do with all of this that was breaking out, says, Brother John, what do I do? What do I do? And John turned around and my dad said, Henry, just get out of the way. <laughs> so there was another bench on this side. So dad went over there and crawled under the bench and curled up. <laughs> he said, while the pastor and I, <laughs> ooh, <sighs> oh my, oh. I know I got something to preach today. I know I do. A year ago, God spoke to my heart. I was just, I was preaching at a, a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, where uh, revival has broken out. Now it's revival, I call it awakening. Revivals change territories and, and they, they touch things that are dead and make them alive until they get tired of being alive and go back to being dead. Like this. And uh, awakenings, though, change culture. An awakening shifts the course of history. It's just, it's, it's huge. You got to catch that. And no, no problems with revival. It's just a term. We make up all these terms to try to explain the ineffable, right? Like, we're like ants trying to describe a computer. Uh, <laughs> ant language, I call it. Uh, and uh, I, was, I was preaching in this church called The Gate in Charlotte. North Carolina, the only place I've ever audibly heard angels. Tracy and I are in a service over there many, many years ago, and, and uh, everybody's quiet in the room, and we just hear this angelic presence just entered the room. The whole place became aware of it. Now everybody's on their face. It was, it was an amazing moment. And, uh, and so I know, it, and I know it's a special house, and I built a strong relationship with him. I, got, I went in there, and I said, God, what, what am I supposed to talk about in this place? And the Lord dropped a word on my heart that came out of a conversation that I had had with a dear friend named Caleb Hires. And I'm gonna share it with you today. That was in March, February, March of last year. November 6th of this past year, uh, in that same church, the Lord sovereignly, I said sovereignly because he just shows, he reserves the right to surprise you. He's a, he's a really good dad and he loves to surprise his kids, right? So when you, you know, I'm a finished work grace guy through and through, but that doesn't mean I've seen everything God's capable of. He hasn't shown me the whole kingdom yet. He hasn't shown me everything we have access to. He still retains the right to surprise his children. And just when you think you've seen it all, he does something totally new. And it puts you back into a state of childlike wonder. That's the deal. So November 6th of this past year, uh, the glory of the Lord touched the leadership team and the worship team right before the service. They said it was like a, like a blanket full of oil that just fell in the room, like it's the hand of God just went boom, and everybody's on their face, pinned to the ground, can't move. And uh, you know, think, well, God doesn't do that. <laughs> Be careful when you say God doesn't do fill in the blank. Because next thing you know, he does that to you. <laughs> well, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. Where do we get that theology? God doesn't come and ask us to do something that we're not comfortable with. I got one word, Jonah. <laughs> God looks for a surrendered life that signed everything over to him and said yes so completely that no is completely off the table. In this moment, this company of people had an encounter with the Lord that they weren't even looking for, seeking. It was 
consistently, consistently the awareness of the presence of the Lord and the focus on Jesus was always preached, spoken, and talked about. But on this morning, it was very different. And the timer, they have a countdown timer on their worship uh, screen like, like we do. And the timer came and went, and there was no worship team, there's no pastor. And the church is full of people waiting, and finally somebody is able to get out to a microphone and said, we'd love to start the service today, but we can't because the entire leadership team is pinned to the floor. It rolled out into the sanctuary, and people came forward, and they just started seeking God, and that was it. The whole service was just a pinned to the floor day. From that point until this point, they've been in a consistent, tangible awareness of the presence of the glory of God. And, uh, and being on the phone with them, they said this word had, a, had an impact to the point where I, I, I'm, what I want to communicate with you today is what I feel like the Lord is teaching us from generation to generation about how to steward a, a, an awakening, an awareness of the glory of God in a way that's sustainable and impacts culture. Because when movements like this happen, we have a tendency to stop everything in our life, sometimes even quit your job, come and find the place where it's happening, camp out there, and never leave. Now, there's a beautiful grace for that. In the Old Testament, Joshua was praised by the Lord because when people came and went uh, from, the, from the cloud and from the pillar of fire, Joshua would go to the tabernacle and he wouldn't depart. He, he'd hang out there a while. He'd linger just a little bit longer. But there comes a point where if we pull everybody out of society, we leave a vacuum in a, in a world where we're supposed to actually be the carriers of the glory of, of God into society. You understand that you are a carrier of the glory. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly, above and beyond all that you could ask or think, according to the power at work within you, to him be glory in the church. So the glory of God is you. In other words, when we step into those moments of magnified concentration, the focused essence and energy of the awareness of the holiness of the love of God, it's meant to change us so deeply, touch us so deeply, that we in turn find ourselves free from the fear of man and free from the spirit of religion and step out into a world that is blind to what Jesus did and who he is. To be a living nuclear dynamo of glory, to carry the hum of the resonant frequency of heaven just on your person, to where, whether it's in word or in deed, when people walk by you, if they have the slightest hint of a desire for God, then the one who is the desire of the nations within you will make himself known as if a person hungry for fresh bread has just walked by the open door of a bakery. You and I are meant to be carriers of the glory of God to, to take these moments of transformation. Like the Mount Transfiguration, Jesus eventually led them down off the mountain. The thing they wanted to do is the thing we all wanted to do. Camp around it, start a building program, and stay here forever. That's not what this is about. An awakening awareness to the glory of God recalibrates your priorities. All of the things that we brought into our lives, we suddenly find ourselves not so consumed with anymore. The things that have become important to us, they're shuffled up and Jesus finds himself at the top once again. And these moments are so important. But I feel like the Lord is, 
has given us in the scripture hints to ways that we can actually steward this. And I want to share with you the same word that I shared with the gate in Charlotte a year ago. Because I believe what's happening in this nation, it's here, it's in the room. What you guys are experiencing this morning, today, is new to many people out there who don't taste and see every single week when they gather. I mean, you guys have been living in awakening, okay? For some people, it's new and it looks extra special. You guys have been living in it. But can I tell you who've been living in it? A really important thing you need to know, you haven't seen it all. You haven't tasted it all. There's still more to know, right? So I believe God is going to, he, he's doing it now, but he is going to increase that magnified awareness of his glory, all right? And, and people, will, people will come. They'll want to check it out. They'll want to see it. It's okay. It's not about the people. It's about Jesus. I, I'm telling you, it, some people who attended a church I pastored at many years ago know this to be true. We floated the idea at one point of uh, coming up with a slogan. So everybody else out there was saying, you know, we're here for you. And I was like, you know what? We need a new slogan. It's going to be, we're not here for you. <laughs> sort of the anti-slogan. <laughs> this isn't about you. <laughs> we're not here for you. We're here for Jesus. And we're here for Jesus whether you show up or not. But when he's glorified and magnified, it's amazing how people want to come and behold him. Yeah. <clears throat> Take your Bibles and turn, if you have them, please turn your iPhones or Bibles or iPads or whatever you got to Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, there's a three-verse story, and I want to go through each verse individually, and I want to show you some things maybe you never have seen before, but I believe in this story is a key to walking in sustained awareness of the awakening presence of the Lord, and to walk in, I would say, a growing awareness, an ever-increasing awareness of the presence of the Lord. Story goes like this, starting in verse 37, Jesus says this, no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. And stop for just a second. Verses 37 and 38 are typically the verses that are preached about when somebody speaks about this topic. And this has been the interpretation I've heard my entire life. The new wine is the Holy Spirit. New wineskins are the young. The old wineskins, you crusty old wineskins, <laughs> get out of the way. And let revival come to the young people, okay? Where'd you hear that, Bill? Pretty much every youth camp I ever went to. <clears throat> and we would fist pump the air and high five one another and be like, yeah, that means we can have drums in the sanctuary now. You don't think that's a big deal? I remember the great battle of the electric guitars in the sanctuary. Whew, rough days those were. <laughs> we were... We were pushing for something fresh and new. A fuzzy guitar chord would make all of our parents just cringe, would make all of us super ha happy because now the gospel was relevant to the rest of the world. 
Somebody hits a drum, and some of you are like, really, is this true? Somebody hits a drum in the sanctuary, all the old people would freak out. Why? Because they went to some conference where some minister heard a third-hand story about a missionary in Africa that said, that's what we use to draw the demons. Anybody remember those days? The stuff we fought over was just, it was stupid. Let's just be honest, it was dumb. <laughs> it's a great test of Christian humility, the ability to laugh at yourself. So, so we, had, we had these interpretations of this passage. The problem is nobody ever read verse 39, at least not out loud, because verse 39 says this, no one after drinking old wine wants new because they say the old is better. And every person in here who knows wine, admit it if you want, Every person in here who knows wine knows this simple fact about wine. New wine is lousy. Not good. You don't get good wine until it's aged, until it's old. Jesus is literally not, he's not saying, we're looking for new wine here. Get the new wine. Write songs about the new wine. That's not the quest. I know I'm breaking some of you right now. It's not the quest. The quest is not for new wine. The quest is for old wine. And there is a process to getting old wine. It begins with receiving the new wine, but it's being a vessel that can carry faithfully for long periods of time the new wine of the Holy Spirit so that it ferments, stretches you, and then becomes an outpouring. You don't want an outpouring of new wine. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What you're after is old wine. This is about being a vessel that is actually more than a believer. You're a disciple. You understand? Jesus never told us to make converts, and he never told us to make believers. He told us to make disciples. And right now, this morning, you can become a believer in Jesus in a moment by faith. But you will not be a disciple in a moment, no matter how much faith you have. A disciple is somebody who believes and keeps believing and keeps believing and keeps believing. You're burning for Jesus now. That's great. How about 20 years from now? How about 30 years from now? James wrote it like this. I like James a lot. I know Martin Luther didn't, he wasn't a fan, but I love James. I do. I think he's just the coolest. I've read him recently, and, and through the lens of the new covenant, James is just, he's just a good swift kick in our we, we don't like being Pharisees. We don't like Pharisees, but sometimes when we leave a religious system, we end up becoming grace Pharisees. We become like Christological curmudgeons who become just as much a Pharisee as the, as the people we used to despise. Crazy how that works, but it's true. And James comes along and just sort of smacks us around. This is what he says. You say you believe, way to go. Good for you. So do the demons. It's my paraphrase, but read James. <laughs> he doesn't play around. You say you believe, you, you good, you do well. So do demons. And you know what? They tremble. In other words, even they have a fear of God. You know the difference between a believer and a demon? 
Hopefully, a believer who's an authentic disciple is literally living in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord. The, believe, the, the believers and the demons know Jesus is Lord, he's king, he's master over everything, he's the savior of the world. Even the demons know that, and it freaks them out. But you know the difference between demons, believers, and disciples? Disciples walk with this awareness that God, you are given permission to interrupt my life at any moment and divert my course. Your voice is what I'm listening to. Not my own goals, my own dreams, my own hopes, my own desires, your voice and your voice alone. That's the difference between a disciple and a demon. That was extra for somebody in the room. <clears throat> so he says here, let me just go back and let's look at this entire story. He says, no one puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be uh, spilled out and they'll be ruined. We'll lose them both. But, and here's the, one of the keys to this story. He says, you put new wine in new wine skins. Now, this is one area where the English translation of the Bible hasn't served us well. The Bible's not written in English originally, and, and, and so we have translations. Every single one of your Bibles, even the good old-fashioned King James, is a translation. So when you read English words, sometimes we miss certain things. And this is one area where it's real easy to miss what Jesus is saying. Why? Because in verse 38, the two words new there are actually two completely different words that mean two different things. The first word is new, which is new by age. You put new wine into, and the next word for new is renewed or refreshed or fresh. Fresh wineskins, new renewed wineskins. Why is this important? Because wineskins were not disposable. It's not, they were expensive. And once you got a wineskin, it was kind of like, it, ladies, it's, it's like that, that iron skillet that your husband didn't know what to do with one time and stuck in the dishwasher, right? And you got, so, you were so happy about it, you know? Remember that? I do. Um, <laughs> Wineskin that had been used multiple times carried a seasoning about it that made better wine with each use. So the question then is, how do you renew a wineskin so that it actually can be even more valuable than it's ever been before? And actually works with the gospel because the gospel, the message of the gospel is that we move in Christ. We're completely finished and, and complete, perfect and lacking nothing. However, we move from strength to strength and glory to glory, which means, again, there's more. And so how do we become more capable of carrying renewal, awakening, revival than perhaps we were before. Well, there's a rhythm to it. There's a rhythm to this, this Christian life. But I do this little exercise with me. Take a big, deep breath. <gasps> exhale. Which one of those was a breath? Both. Both. Two very different things, but both of them together make one breath. What we take into us is transformed, and as we release it, it goes out to bring life into the world around you, which in turn transforms what you release to release back to you what you need to live. 
It's as if in our physical body, God has made us a living illustration that we don't even think about because we do this tens of thousands of times a day. We need to think about the lifestyle of giving and receiving that we literally do every second. Now, if I ever get to a point where I go, you know what? I just inhale. I don't exhale. I don't like exhaling. I want to keep everything I get and hang on to it and not let it go. My life expectancy is now cut super short. A lot of people receive and receive, but they haven't learned how to take what the Lord gives them, let it be transformed on the inside of them to release into the world what brings life. That's what it means to be a a living, walking, breathing, awakening, awareness of the presence and the glory of God. So here's the process of renewing a wineskin. Let's just take the first step. This is the one that everybody likes. And that is you take new wine, you put it into a wineskin. And, and this is what's happening right now in Asbury and Charlotte and various places all over the United States. 22 seminaries, as I understand it, are having moments of outpouring like this. Just time, extended time in the presence of the Lord. What's happening? People are receiving for the first time the realization of the living, uh, glorious Holy Spirit, the new wine of the Holy Spirit into them. And so What happens? That new wine stretches you to the point where you think you are about to break. And then, at the appropriate time, when you've faithfully carried and walked in the glorious anointing of the gospel, and just let that gospel stretch you to where you realize, I can handle more than I thought, I can carry more than I ever thought I could, oh my goodness, then you uncap that wineskin, and there is what is known as an outpouring. That outpouring can come in conversation, laying on of hands, whatever it happens to be. Just you being around people can change the atmosphere. The outpouring of the new wine of the Holy Spirit when it has transformed you on the inside, because it's really changing you, when it becomes an outpouring, everybody around you gets super happy, loves everybody. If they're in pain, it goes away and healing comes. It's amazing. It's a glorious thing. Outpouring of the Wine of the Holy Spirit. But the process isn't done. It's just begun. When there's an experience that you have with God, he stirs your heart, you're weeping for the loss, whatever it happens to be. When there's an experience, an encounter that you have with God, one of the first things that takes place is that we forget everything and we follow after more experiences. And the first thing you do to renew a wineskin is you take clean, fresh water and you wash it out. The Bible calls this the washing of the water of the word. This has become an absolutely indispensable part of my life. And I can't explain how this works. It's not a dead letter. This is the document that reveals the living word. Doesn't confine him, it unveils him. This document right here, it may seem dry to study, but when you have an encounter and experience with God, listen to me very, very carefully, one of the first things you need to do is get back to this. And in that place of 
a sense of a hunger for the things of God, from an awareness that you've tasted and seen that he's good. There's this renewed love for the presence of the Lord, and just this overflowing presence of the Lord. Get back to this. Bring the Holy Spirit with you. Super important. That's a big one. Because reading this without the Holy Spirit is how Pharisees are made. Okay? Study this with the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, in the middle of experience, there's something about the words of this book that used to be dry as dust that you had to wade through, like, like walking through wet cement, now become life-giving to you. It's like they come off the page and they smack you upside of your head. And you just sit there and go, when did they write that? I thought I memorized that scripture. When did they put that in there? Word comes alive to you. Most of the time, what I've discovered is that when people have an encounter and experience with the glory of the Lord, the last thing they do is get back to this. What ends up happening? Same thing that happens to a wineskin if you don't wash it out. If you don't wash a wineskin out, there is a residue in every fermentation process, and God's, I think, designed it this way for a reason, to teach us something. There is a residue that's separated out of that that uh, new wine in the process of that new wine becoming old wine, and it settles in the bottom of that wineskin, and that residue is actually toxic, and if you drink that, you'll get sick. In every single outpouring of the Holy Spirit that I've ever been a part of, there is always residue. Coloring book when he's in a restaurant and can't behave himself. The critics, give them the coloring book. Here, here's, here's something to criticize. Here's... Here's somebody who comes in and they got a massive mixture of flesh and the Holy Spirit and you can't figure out which is which. Is it God? Is it a demon? We're not sure. We'll cast it out and if it doesn't go, it's probably God. <laughs> and the critics stand back and go, hmm, armchair quarterbacking this move of God. I must do this. My TikTok audience depends on it. It's okay. It's all right. No condemnation for those folks. God gives them something to criticize. But here's the thing. You get back to the scriptures. When you get back to the scriptures, what happens, it makes your heart pliable. Something happens inside of you. And now you're sort of like washed out of all of that bitter, jaded cynicism. I cannot tell you in the last 30 plus years of preaching the gospel, how many times I've seen people walk in power and the anointing of the Lord on their life and years later, you go back and talk to them. They used to heal the sick, raise the dead, cat, whatever. They saw all the stuff. And they're bitter, and they're jaded, and they're cynical. And one of the questions I ask, and it never gets a positive response, is this. What's the last thing you remember reading in the scriptures? What's the last thing where you studied the word of God and, and the Lord spoke to you from his word? They're like, you know what? Don't even talk to me about that. That's a common response. I've been there. I've done that. I bought the t-shirt. Trait, old, cynical, jaded, bitter. It's almost as if the problem is they do remember walking in power. They just got bitter about it. Why? I can tell you why. Jesus told us. It's a process of renewing a wineskin here. They never return back to the washing of the water of the word. And I can't explain spiritually how this happens, but when you have an encounter and experience with God, get alone with the Lord and open up the scriptures, go back to the gospels and let him speak to you again. 
It does something to make your heart pliable. And for whatever reason, if there's any hint of bitter, jaded cynicism that got put into you, that settled in your heart from the last outpouring of the move of God, it washes it out. And suddenly you find yourself having grace for everybody on their journey. Get back to the washing of the water of the word. But if you take and just apply water to the inside of a wineskin and don't follow it up with the next process, that water actually will dry that wineskin out and it becomes brittle and dry and cracked and, and it becomes a mess. So immediately with the washing of the water of the word follows the application of the oil. The application of the oil is where the vintner, the the winemaker, takes and he moves his hands across that wineskin to not just apply the oil, but to literally work it into the wineskin. And the oil is actually making that wineskin return to form and become pliable again so that it can now receive new wine and stretch all over again. You're like, Bill, it sounds like revival comes and goes. No, it doesn't. This is like breathing. This is learning how to give and how to receive in moments of awakening, revival, renewal, whatever you want to call it. This is learning how to live a lifestyle of deep breathing in the spirit, okay? And when you and I figure this thing out where we go, okay, time in the oil, what does that even look like? Ooh, (laughs) time in the oil is where God unveils the secrets of his heart to you. And can I tell you something about the secret place with the Lord? In the secret place is where you begin to learn that there are things that God wants to share with you that are not meant to be put on Facebook. There's stuff that God wants to share with you that's actually not meant for corporate consumption. It's meant for you. When God sees that he can entrust you with the secrets of his heart, he'll give you more. He'll give you more. Somebody asked me once, what percentage of material, revelation, insight, illumination, call it whatever you want, that you get in the secret place do you share publicly? And the answer is probably 5%. That 5% is in a book out there, by the way, called Unveil Horizon. Uh, did you like that? I was, I just, okay. that was smooth, wasn't it? Um, yeah, five, probably 5%. Because I realize much of the stuff that God shares with me is stuff that I don't believe yet. God consistently challenges my theology. And just when I think I figured it all out, he shares something with me that I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, man, that's like, that's a stretch. I'm gonna have to pray about that one. (laughs) What he does is he expands my perception of his goodness all the time. One of the first things I wanna do is I wanna get online and go, I wanna tell the whole world. And this is what I hear the Lord always saying. Point people to me and let me tell them like I told you. Stop being the mediator. How did you get the revelation? You looked at Jesus long enough and spent time in the oil long enough to where he started speaking things to your heart. Why did I look at him? Because somebody told me to. Somebody preached the gospel. What is the gospel? Look at Jesus. Tell you what I mean. Jesus said in John 3, 14, 15, he says, 
before the most famous verse in the Bible, he says this, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. Anybody remember this? The story he's alluding to is a story in the Old Testament where the children of Israel were in the desert and they're grumbling and complaining and snakes came out of the ground and started biting people and they were dying. And Moses goes to God and goes, what do I do? And God said, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, put it in the middle of the camp and whoever looks at it will be healed. Now ponder that. Theologically, it makes no sense. Can't we put a dove on a pole? That would make more sense. No. Put the thing that represents a curse on a wooden pole in the middle of the camp makes no theological sense. The thing that it seemed that got us here in the first place, the lie of a serpent, ah, put that on the pole. Something that represents that in bronze, not gold, not silver, bronze, brass, worthless. Worthless substance of a cursed creature hanging on a wooden pole, everything that could embody and represent a curse. And here's the deal, Moses. All you have to do is have them look at it. Just look at it. Is there a manual, maybe a leader's guide, a video series we could watch, maybe a teaching series where I could talk about the theology behind the... Moses, stop. Quit complicating this. Tell them to look at the thing that they don't even understand. They'll find healing in the beholding. And in their healed state, they might have a heart that is stirred to know more. So let's say, let's say Joel and I, we're a couple of guys who've been snake bit. You know, we're saying goodbye to our families. We're, you know, half dead. We got a couple of heartbeats left. And out of the corner of, of my eye, I look over and I see a pole with a shiny bronze thing going up in the middle of the camp. And I look at it, and suddenly, all the pain is gone. I can breathe again. What, what just happened? I just got healed. What did I do? I looked at that. I have one message. I am now a commissioned minister of the gospel of a thing I don't understand. And I have one message. Joel, look at that. Joel goes, look at what? He's over all of a sudden he's healed. We are now the first ministry team ever. <laughs> we have one message and it's one point long. Three words. Look at that. That's it. Why? Don't ask why. Just look. Because we don't even know why. But all we know is when we looked, we're healed. Jesus said of himself, he said, hey guys, that is me. That right there is me. I think of the, the thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus, the, the, the one we all love. He's all hanging there and, and he, he looks at Jesus and he's got enough presence of mind to know that Jesus is going to a different place than he's going because he knows this guy's innocent and I just knocked over a 7-Eleven, right? So I'm dying and this guy is... And so he looks over, he doesn't ask for salvation. He goes, hey, when you get to where you're going, think about me. Worst sinner's prayer ever. <laughs> Jesus goes, you're in. That's it. That's it. That's all it took, right? Okay, now this guy, he's hanging there and all of a sudden he dies. Now he's like, where am I? What, am I, what is happening right now? 
An angel walks up to him and goes, what are you doing here? I don't know. I'm not sure. All I know is I, I was dying. And here I am now. Well, what's your ministry? What, what's a ministry? How many people did you lead to Jesus? Who? Jesus. You know him? Oh, him. I know him. He and I were just hanging out. See what I did there? He and I were just hanging out. And now the angels are gathering around because they're confused. Why are you here? I don't know. But he says I can come. That's his whole message, Dustin. He's got one message. He never led a single person to Jesus. He never had a ministry. He never built a website. He never even gave a prophetic word. He's got one message standing in the glory, and that is to point to Jesus and says, he said I can be here. That's it. And can I tell you what this revival, this move of God is all about? It's about beholding him. It's about seeing him. And I call, I call to America, the nations of the world, see Jesus. Look at him. See him. Don't see me. Don't see a person, a worship team, a song. See him. Behold him. Let all of our preaching, let all of our worship be to point you to Jesus, to say, behold him. Look at him. See him. We don't understand. We've tried to figure out the theology for 2,000 years, and all of our figuring out the theology hasn't done anything but to make us more confused and more divided. Can we just see him who goes beyond understanding, beyond comprehension? Just see him, just behold him. Let's worship some more, Nathan. I don't know where you guys are at, but I feel like we need to worship, like right now. We just, I'm tired of you guys looking at me. It's time to look at Jesus. It's time to look at Jesus. I do have a bunch of resources out there. All of them are name your own price today, okay? And they're gonna make that super easy. I don't, want to, I don't want to take anything home. I seriously don't. If you don't have money for something, you want something, you say, I need to know more about this Jesus. Everything out there will share the gospel with you. And, uh, and, and just, it'll make things super confusing for Tracy, but please be kind to her. I'll just grab a handfuls of stuff and run out. But I just, I feel like, I feel like, uh, I just feel like this, this is it. Pastors, teachers, preachers, prophets all over the nation. This is, this is no longer, this is no longer a, about anything but beholding him. No longer about anything but just seeing him and beholding him. Every song we sang today, whew, I don't know if we can do that all hail King Jesus one again. My goodness. Whew. Singing holy, 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 holy Lord. Holy Lord, we behold you. Make us wineskins that can be renewed over and over again. Can I tell you one thing about this wineskin process? Two-thirds of this process nobody will ever see. You don't get likes on Facebook for studying your scriptures and spending time in the secret place. That's stuff between you and God. But it's still revival. It's still awakening. People don't have to be looking at you to have an awakening. Just in all of your doing, 
in all of your reading, in all of your soaking in the oil, and in all of your outpouring of the wine that's been transforming you from the inside out, just point people to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. Cause them to see him. Can I just say anything else? High and lifted up, king of the universe. My father is a king. Can <laughs> you say that with me? Say, my father is a king. <laughs> My father is a king, and I am seated with him. <laughs> Ooh, isn't the view from the throne amazing? We never stop beholding you, Jesus. All hail King Jesus, Savior of the world. 